Train noises! Whoop whoop! Welcome to season six, where we're phoning it in. You don't think critically and then put a Pop-Tart into your body. I am highly caffeinated and minorly concussed. Aruga, aruga! What came first, the love sack or the gravity gun? It's my turn to do a sin with Sonic. This is for the freaks. <laughs> Too much piss. That's the kind of bad decisions we like to hear about. Let me a sleepy ass bat. How much shrimp can you fit in your mortal body? You told me you guys would be cool. That's season six intro material right there. Hello and welcome to Debate This, the show where no one is right, but someone is definitely wrong. In this show, we take time out of our busy adult lives to talk about comic books, video games, and how there will never be anything I love more than a sticky, low-budget horror thriller flick. No joke. Just, just facts. Just facts. Okay, wait, wait, Matt. Yeah. Sticky low-budget horror thriller flick or kombucha? Well, I do not like kombucha. I have never liked kombucha. He likes yerba mate. Yerba mate. Yerba mate is much different than kombucha. Okay, whatever. Yerba mate. You don't have to grow yerba mate in a swampy jar. Nerd, the joke's not good anymore. Let's move on. (laughs) Matt, quick, shoot from the hip. What is the absolute best sticky low-budget horror thriller flick? Personal Um, favorite. My personal favorite is mm-hmm. a sci-fi original movie called Mega Shark versus Giant Octopus. It's oh yeah, great, excellent, great pick. Yeah, great pick. Um, but if you want a low-budget, like sticky, schlocky horror movie, also a sci-fi original, but one that actually legitimately freaked me out a little bit, even though the graphics are terrible. Ice Spiders. <laughs> Ice Spiders Ice is spiders. very good. Um, it's a lot like egged, eight-legged. Jesus Christ, it's a lot eight like legged eight-legged freaks, freaks but that, on ice. That fucked me up a little bit when I was a kid and I saw that. Anyway, okay, great. Love it. Hey, speaking huh. of all this spooky stuff, welcome to Spooktacular Express. Happy Spooktacular Express season, everyone. It train, is noises. Our, train noises. Train noises. <laughs> whoop, whoop. It's our annual October <laughs> Halloween <laughs> content-a-thon. I'm not listening to you, where we release a special spooky episode every Tuesday of the month. This week, we have a very scary flavor text for you that was commissioned as a birthday present for friend of the show known on Discord as Squirrelmancer. Wait, do you you don't mean James Gunn's The Squirrelmancer, do you? <laughs> Squirrelmancer, a James Gunn joint. <laughs> Happy 16th birthday, Squirrelmancer. It is wild to me that you listened to this podcast and that you told your parents about it. But hey, I guess we really are PG-13. All jokes aside, we are honored that you would consider this silly podcast worthy, a worthy birthday present for the biggest birthday of your life so far. I hope it makes all of your weird TF2 dreams come true. Hey, just just wait, just based on that alone. Squirrelmancer's parents know more about this podcast than my parents know about this podcast. And that's saying something. That's true. I was trying to think, um, I, for my 16th birthday, uh, we had a LAN party, and yeah. I think nice. if I were to sum it all up, debate this is the LAN parties of podcasts. I don't <laughs> feel like I can disagree with you, but I feel like other Thank people you. could also make that claim. It's I, unwieldy, there's yeah. a lot of caffeine going around, and there is a smell. There's, there is a smell. About, let me let me add one more fla- la- layer to this. Debate this is the land parties in in the middle of a blizzard in January of podcasts in that 
you're you're there whether or not you want to be. <laughs> it's closing time. No one has to go home, but you can't stay here. We're going to make the best of it. We're going to make the best of it. So, hey, I said TF2 as in Team Fortress 2. You guys know about Team Fortress 2, right? Well, what if I told you that earlier this year, a feature length horror film created entirely in Team Fortress 2 called Emesis Blue was released to YouTube? Wouldn't that be wild? I I would say most of those words are nonsense. (laughs) Well, speaking of nonsense, Emesis Blue is what Squirrel Mancer asked us to take a deep dive into and deep and dive deep I have. I had a really hard time getting that one out. No, it's good. Joining me to chronicle my journey through the respawn room are Todd, Red versus Blue Thomas, and Andrew, Old Town Road Henderson. I am just waiting for the day that someone does a Red versus Blue flavor text because oh my Todd, Todd's God. been waiting for years. It's, it's my <laughs> good holy God. I'll talk about it a little bit later, but we'll have to wait at least until next year because Red vs. Blue's final season is currently airing. It's true. Um, It's it's true. They it. I can't. I listen. Hey, I can't. I can't get into Red vs. Blue right now. We've got other things to do tonight. Matt, can I have can we have the Venn diagram of these two things? Nope. There are two things that I enjoy. Red vs. Blue and Old Town Road by Lil Nas X. Lil Nas X, famously creator of Red vs. Blue. Yeah. I will answer the question as to how these two things are related here in a couple of minutes. I don't want to give it away quite yet, but by the end of this podcast, actually by the ad break, you'll know why those two things are in the same category. Cool. So as we start every flavor text, that's what these are called. My brain just shut off. I was like, what podcast are we doing? Anyway, Mm -hmm. as we start every flavor text here at Debate This, I want to ask the ceremonial question. What do you guys know about Emesis Blue? And because I think I know the answer to that question, I'll take it a step further and also ask, what do you know about Team Fortress 2? Uh, it's a hat collector. Yep. It's the a hat game. collector sim. Um, Emesis Blue, uh, I love their song Carnival Number 9. Was it that Emerson, was a Lake real stretch. Yeah. I don't know. I thought it was pretty good. I no. think there are other better blue bands that you could have made a reference I w- to. I was going Name for the five. Emerson. You Emerson, could have said it's my Lake favorite Eiffel 65 song. That's yeah, what that's I would have done. Mm, yeah, that's the low-hanging fruit. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think that's better than what I said. Um, well, it is. Emesis Blue <laughs> is the cult behind Don't Fear the Reaper. That's another one. Blue Oyster Cult. Uh, you guys are really latched onto Blue. I'm latched onto the Emesis. Oh, because that's the easier one. Yeah, well, right. Well, that's the ju- I don't know anything about Emesis Blue. <laughs> yeah. Um, I Hey, same. Um, uh, Team Fortress 2, though, I, I know a bit about that. I think I played it briefly um, when it came out, and um, I just had to look up the list of the characters because I was like, yeah, there's the spy and <laughs> yeah. the, the, the one that carries a club and then the big guy. Um, yeah. And then there's like seven other people. It's it, it's Overwatch before Overwatch was. That's super accurate. That is 100 yeah. percent what it is. Yeah. Um, in in the way that, you know, like. Two other examples are the same thing. Team Fortress 2 was <laughs> Overwatch before Overwatch. 
<laughs> Great. <laughs> so before I jump into this flavor text, knowing that you guys know nothing, I do want to give a little bit of an explanation as to how today's flavor text is going to be broken down and a little bit about why I chose to organize it this way. So my very best friend and newly 16 year old squirrel mancer, please don't be upset with me. As I was watching the movie, I kind of got it in my head that if I just went through this flavor text and gave the plot beats and told you moment by moment what happened in this movie, it would really diminish the value of the movie itself and the work that went into it and absolutely the work that went into it. You know, I think that there is absolutely something to be said about the value of a cinematic breakdown, and we could certainly do that here today. But the reality is that this is a psychological horror. I watched this movie knowing nothing going into it, and I think that my experience was all the better because of that. So I really don't want to spend the next two hours spoiling each and every moment of this movie for you. So here's what I'm going to do instead. We're going to do the front half of this flavor text, and I'm going to explain to you what exactly Emesis Blue is and how it became something that exists or something that could exist in pop culture and the larger video game zeitgeist. I'm also cool. going to talk a little bit about the history of movies made with video games and how we got there to begin with. We'll cut to break. We'll come back. And then I'm going to talk about Team Fortress 2 for a little while. What that game is, how it came to the world, just just the slightest whiff of the deep lore of Team Fortress 2. Just Can't, like a, no, like just Team a Fortress smelling does, salts amount. No, Team Fortress 2 does not have deep lore. I mean, they they did a series of like character videos and stuff. Todd has to be right. something there. You're right. Todd, there is more. TF2 extended universe than there is Overwatch extended universe. And that sucks. Almost all of it is canon. So, so we should all start playing Team Fortress 2. We could. It's still available. It's free to play. I've, the last update I've, was like a month ago. I can't play Overwatch anymore, you guys. I can't. Well, it's not Overwatch. Well, no, this it's, is different. It's, 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 it's different, Overwatch. Come on. <laughs> it's well, in the same yeah. way that two things it's, are similar. <laughs> it's, 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 it's Overwatch written in a different font. Yeah, you got it. So we'll talk about Team Fortress 2 for a little while. And then I will go through the setup of this movie, a little bit about the story beats in the opening acts and really my takeaway from this movie, investigating a little bit of the questions that it asked and why I think it was interesting to begin with. So that's what you're in for. If you are afraid cool. of Emesis Blue spoilers, you get to hang out for like the next 90 minutes and I'll give you a real warning when we're entering spoiler Terry. Spoiler territory. No nope, spoiler Terry. Spoiler, spoiler Terry. Terry. Our, yes. our new character, Spo Spoiler Terry. Hey, everybody, I'm Spoiler Terry. <laughs> oh, no, Dumbled Spoiler Terry. Snake kills Dumbledore. Bop, 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 bop. <laughs> Piggy dies. Okay. Rosebud's the name of the sled. <laughs> A bing bong. <laughs> He's Spoiler Terry's trademark catchphrase, bing bong. <laughs> oh, God. All right, well... Without further ado, let's get right into it and talk about what Emesis Blue really is. So, put simply, Emesis Blue is an animated horror movie. 
if you want to dig into genres, it's probably most easily classified as a psychological thriller. To go a little deeper, Emesis Blue is what's known as a machinima created using a program called SFM and the assets of a video game, which we referenced earlier, called Team Fortress 2. Now, I know that bullet point had a lot of made up words and you may not have heard all of them before. Put a pin in that. We'll be back, I promise. Emesis Blue was created by an online film production company called Fortress Films and released to YouTube on February 20th, 2023. That's right. This bad boy is barely six months old. So if you've been Mm. thinking to yourself, hey, why haven't I heard of this before? It's probably why. That's fair. There's not a ton of readily available info on Fortress Films, but to give as much credit as possible, the role credits of Emesis Blue and IMDb both list a person named Chad Payne as the writer and director of the project, as well as Anton Pelizari as the producer. Additional credits include Andre T. Parashiv for providing technical coordination and custom assets. And there is also a cast list of voice actors, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Is this like a one-off thing, or is this group credited with more Team Fortress movies? Yeah, great question. Let me answer it with my next bullet point. Via their Patreon, since 2014, we, we being Fortress Films, have been on YouTube creating short animated videos of Team Fortress 2 using Valve's own software, Source Filmmaker. As the viewership of our channel grew, we became inspired to heighten the quality of our videos to new standards, focusing on creating feature-length animated films with an ever-expanding team of professional talent. So it's a newer thing. They haven't done, you know, a ton. They do have some other shorts that are already available on their YouTube video, on their YouTube page, excuse me. The first of which currently listed is called The Spy's Disguise. It's another TF2 movie made in Source Filmmaker and was released in August of 2018. It's kind of wild to me that because I think like part of this is I just assumed this was really old because Source came out in 2004. I mean, that was, you know, Half-Life 2's engine, right? Mm-hmm. So it is kind of wild to me that much like Red versus Blue, that you've got this company that has just kind of popped up in 2023, the year of roller 2023, almost 20 years after Source came out and is like, nah, dog, like we're all in on Source Filmmaker. Like, okay. <laughs> Cool. Yeah, right. It's it's wild. It has, I think, in a way, the same feeling as like musicians who prefer analog recording yeah, or, you know, people who are still recording to tape or something that's like that comparison. to kind of get that that vibe. So the best place to connect with Fortress Films or find out more about them appears to be their YouTube page, their Patreon and their Discord I will make sure to link all of those in the show notes if you're looking for more information. Now, one of those made up words that I used a number of bullet points ago was machinima. So let's talk about what machinima is. If you're still a little lost on what Emesis Blue is as a concept, that's okay. If you weren't a very particular kind of nerd circa 2003, it's you this may, guy. It's me. Yeah, it's, it's Todd. Hello. Todd is the whole way that nerd. 
You may have never encountered a machinima in the wild before. So, machinima, this is dumb, originally called machinima. It's spelled different, but I don't know how to say those two things differently. Uh, They swapped an E for an I. What do you want? Is the use of real-time computer graphic engines to create a cinematic production. Now, according to the Guinness Book of World Records, because apparently that's who we trust on these sorts of things, machinima is the art of making animated narrative films from computer graphics, most commonly using the engines found in video games. And let me be clear, the machinima we're talking about today is explicitly not machinima.com, or the YouTube channel Machinima, (laughs) or the company Machinima Inc. that shuttered in 2019. All of those things are uses of the same word, and they reference the same thing, but that's not what we're talking about today. Cool. Okay, (laughs) so way back in the 1980s, a few clever software crackers were able to insert custom credits into games by removing the copy protection of the ROMs. That is the breakpoint, the entrance that is often thought of as, oh my God, I ate Taco Bell before we recorded this and I'm going to Why? Why did you do that? It's it's been a rough day. Anyway, (laughs) that event is often looked at as the impetus that led us to machinima in video games. So fast forward a handful of years to 1992 and you arrive at Disney Interactive Studios game Stunt Island. Stunt Island was less about achieving high scores and more about making shit that looked cool. With that in mind, the developers added a feature to the game allowing players to stage, record, and replay the stunts they performed in game. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, then in 1993, id Studios released legendary video game Doom and included a similar replay functionality. One thing that Doom seemed to nail was the way it recorded these replays. Instead of logging the actual frames of video, the game stored replays as a sequence of events exported via code. Entering that code would prompt the gameplay engine to replay the series of events in real time. And this kept the file sizes on these replays incredibly small. Whoa. That is some like Nintendo writing the entirety of Pokemon Red and Pokemon Gold and Silver shit. Yes, a thousand percent. Like this is the same technology that if you remember... Um, I can't think of a specific example, but like old NES and some early SNES era games that didn't have Mm -hmm. save files, but would generate Mm -hmm. save codes. This is that same technology or how the the original Mega Man wrote over the sound effects. So like the reason like you can't jump and hear something at the same time because like the sound effect is overwritten by like game code. It's wild. Yeah. Wild. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The early 90s were definitely this this wild west of programming and like how can we really bend and break the abilities of the software that we're using and the hardware that we're using and that was how Doom did it. Now 3 years later, 
id studios released doom's bigger meaner far more complicated sibling quake not only did quake arguably pave the way for modern esports it also meshed the replay logging features of doom with quake's multiplayer and custom ability options real quick about quake so have have either of you two played quake i have i haven't but I'm familiar. It like it quite possibly is one of the twitchiest shooters you've ever played. And like, I mean, Matt nailed it there when when it was one of the like the the platforms for esports. I remember years, like a decade plus ago, easy watching streamers play Quake competitively, and it just moves so fast. Like, yeah. if you think modern shooters move fast go watch like the early versions of LAN quake competitions. They are moving in a speed that is just, I can't fathom it. Yeah. Famously quake, uh, quake speed runs are the reason why games done quick exists. That was the, hmm. that was the, when we talked about in our flavor text earlier this year. So meanwhile, this was happening. Yeah. Meanwhile, on October 26th, 1996, what I would personally consider to be the first machinima was released by a Quake gaming clan known as the Rangers. That uh, that machinima was called Diary of a Camper. It was a 100 second demo file that added a brief story to the standard action and gore of a replay video. Diary of hmm. a Camper led to the rise in popularity of what were then called Quake movies and after branching out into other games, became known as Machinima. Hmm. So, Neat. so if the demo being like the replay file, so someone played a game or a match or whatever, a level, and then that replay file with story over it was the, the Machinima. Yeah. So more to, or less to call to call Diary of a Camper something with a story is a stretch. There right. is some text based like conversation and story that happens in the top left of the screen in a similar way that like the online Quake UI would look. Um, mm -hmm. It is a the whole idea of Quake movies were sort of these choreographed multiplayer lobbies. You know, you would have this idea of somebody who is the director, the storyteller who has gathered a group of friends in a quake lobby to use their characters to act out this thing. And then you could use the replay viewer to control the camera. Um, it is really wild to think of. I mean, a how much work would go into creating a machinima the size of Emesis Blue, like a feature length film in 2023, but even wilder to consider, like, how would you use a game from 1996 to choreograph a movie? However, with the limited right. technology and capability that you had, it's just like MacGyver magic wizardry wrapped yeah. up in these and, early videos. And also, like, one of those things where, like, you are trying to do something that's so that that could be so much better and easier done on different a different platform, but it's the sheer fact of like, well, we can do it, so we have to do it. Mm -hmm. You know exactly. 
Yeah. So that's where it all got started. And for nearly 30 years, machinima has grown as both a genre and an art form. I, for one, was shocked to learn today of the existence of the Academy of Machinima Arts and Sciences, a nonprofit organization dedicated to promoting the art of machinima. The AMAS holds a number of machinima film festivals that many other machinimas you may be familiar with have both attended, been involved with, and won a number of awards at. The most famous of these machinimas is, of course, the one we've been referencing since the very beginning of this episode, Rooster Teeth's Red vs. Blue, a series airing its 19th and final season this year, filmed entirely within Halo. Can I talk about Red vs. Blue for a minute? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so I I had the DVD for season one and season two. Um, I love like I used to watch this on dial up. Um, I fell off, you know, a decade ago because um, at one point Rooster Teeth stopped being necessarily the ones that did all of it. They actually hired like or they sold off the rights or something because um, it is like full fledged animation now. Um, Though I believe in the 19th season, they're bringing it back into the studio to finish it off. Um, But if you watch like. It's all filmed in like blood gulch, they have to trim the screen so they cut the gun so you can't see the gun in the shot for the first everything filmed in uh, in Halo one. They had to cut the screen so they cut the gun out in Halo two. Um, Bungie created a feature where if you threw all of your grenades, you weren't holding any grenades, you could hold the grenade trigger and your character would lower their gun. So Bungie put a feature in just for the machinima crowd so that they could film easier and remove the gun off the screen. Um, also Rooster Teeth's name, uh, comes from the insult cockbite. So there's that too. There you go. We've all learned something about red versus blue today. I remember Red versus Blue as a kid. My older cousin was really into Red versus Blue. And I remember being like, what do you mean they made a show in Halo? That's not anything. I don't understand that. And yeah, I definitely weaved in and out of Red versus Blue. I don't think I ever got quite as into it as you were, but I definitely watched my fair share of episodes. Do you think you're going to go back and rewatch it all once they finish it? Honestly, like in I mean this in complete sincerity, I probably will. Um, they did so Rooster Teeth has been around for like I think it was at their their 20 year mark. They put out some sort of um they put out some sort of like, hey, 20 years with Rooster Teeth. And I like I I like shed a tear during the video <laughs> because I was like, it's so formative to like my nerd being. Um I still watch not a ton of like Rooster Teeth or Achievement Hunter and Achievement Hunter is shuddering and they're switching over. Those people are doing different things now. But like Rooster Teeth, Achievement Hunter, Funhouse, like those are all things that I watch still on a on a daily basis. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I probably will. Like it's it's there's a lot of love put into that show. Like they started filming it in Gus's like two bedroom apartment on you know, tube TVs, you know, and we 20. met Gus. We did meet Gus. Rad. He <laughs> Gus and his uh, and his six flab. 
Mm-hmm. He doesn't have a six pack. He has flabby six packs, so they call it a six flab. We didn't tell him that when we met him. No, uh, we well, didn't. He would have understood. Okay, that's all I have to say about about yeah. Rooster Teeth, at least for right now. All right, cool, great. So, anyway, that's red versus blue. But you may have also dabbled in machinima if you were a fan of South of South Park in two thousand and six. And remember the episode Make Love, Not Warcraft. Which great episode. Great episode filmed in World of Warcraft with the help of Blizzard Studios. Emmy award winning episode Make Love, Not Warcraft. It it has to be. I didn't I don't think I'm I knew that sure. it was, but it has to be like people. I'm not even that big of a. So one, I'm not that big of a World of Warcraft fan. I'm not that big of a South Park fan. But I can still make the reference of we have to kill all these boars and then we can play the game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even more recently and slightly more mainstream than South Park is 2018 Lil Nas X banger Old Town Road, the first music video for which was a machinima filmed entirely in Red Dead Redemption 2. That is so cool and a weird trivia fact that I never knew. I and did not go. know this. That's how your that's how your names connect. That's what they Got are. There's yeah. a, a two very famous machinimas. I, that I'll game's give, really good. I haven't played it. I wouldn't know. Same. The the even the online is really really fun. So moving away from Red Dead Redemption Two and back to the concept of machinimas, if you the listener are asking yourself how legal is this, you're asking the right questions. I also don't have an answer for you. As with most copyright disputes in the digital age, everything is made up and truly nothing matters. Some companies like Microsoft and Blizzard have gone so far as to host fan competitions for creating movies within their games. Other companies like Microsoft and Blizzard have seen machinimas made with their properties they don't care for and have blasted creators on the internet with cease and desist letters. I believe that. I mean, they tracks. Yeah, like I mean, obviously if if people are if people are creating content using your video game as a base, mm-hmm. it's good PR. If people are making nasty things for for the nasties, yeah. then maybe I mean, you I, don't want them doing that. I think there is an open di- a discussion there's a that we were not going to have today, but like there is a, a gray area between product and platform, right? And I know you're probably going to get into mm-hmm. it, but like Unity, for example, like Unity is a platform that was made specifically for people to create stuff on, but it is still a product. Mario Maker is at its core a game, but it is still a platform. So where do those, then those lines I would imagine can blur and legally speaking, you could probably make the argument that most games could also be platforms and vice versa. Yeah, this is not a flavor text about how the legal definition of fair use in the United States is a mess. But and what a fucking party that would be. Oh, man. You want to get me real riled up? Yeah. Let's let's talk about get, fair get, use. Get at us, FCC versus Citizen United. Oh, flavor man. text. I will get rock hard over the, the house? second sale law. Let's go. <laughs> anyway, to, to allude to Todd's point about nasty things for the nasties, This is the point in my research where I found a Wikipedia link to a wiki page called Overwatch and Pornography that Uh I opted not to click on. 
There's an entire dissertation that could also be written specifically on the profit these companies have gained just from pornographic machinimas, but I will not be presenting that dissertation. If you click that link, you have to throw your computer away. You sure do. I like I saw it and accidentally uh, hovered it and got the little pop up blurb. and was like, that's enough. I don't want no. this. Not for me. Another game studio known for games like Half-Life and Portals 1 and 2 decided to lean into machinimas with their whole ass and on June 27th, 2012, released Source Filmmaker, a 3D computer graphic software tool for creating animated films using the Source game engine. Cool. Love so, it. so to talk a little bit about SFM, as stated above, SFM is this game engine animation studio that is Valve's proprietary proprietary filming software created explicitly for machinima use. Can I ask now, a dumb question? Is this is this what Gary's mod is, or is that different? Gary's mod is different, and I'll, I'll if you give me a second, I'll ramp back Great. to that. Yeah. So SFM source filmmaker source Jesus Christ. SFM source filmmaker, just the abbreviation. It had actually been developed internally at Valve all the way back in 2005. It didn't take Valve long to realize they were really onto something and they started to flex their software by creating the Meet the Team series. Meet the Team was a series of 10 digital shorts used as promotional material for the release of Team Fortress 2. The videos introduced the world to the game's nine playable mercenaries and a sandwich. SFM was actually... <laughs> I don't know what that means. We're just going to move past that, huh? And We're just going to yeah. just rule right past. <laughs> We're running I, low on time. <laughs> truly have nothing to add to that bullet point. That is taken almost word for word from TF2's website. So there you Fair. go. Add us in the comments. Let's move on. SFM was actually accidentally released to the public in its initial form in Classic. 2007. That was during Team Fortress 2's public beta. Back at the time... SFM was just known as the replay editor in Team Fortress 2 and was revamped for the game's full release. In 2010, the software's interface had been completely revamped and it was fleshed out to be released as its own product in mid-2012. SFM's last major overhaul update was in May of 2020 when a version was released to work with the Source 2 game engine. So, Andrew, mm. to go back to your point about Gary's mod, this yeah. is not Gmod. Gmod was made by another company uh, or okay. another development studio and is honestly pretty similar. Okay. It was developed by a group called Face Punch Studios, who did use some things from SFM to create the larger game of Gary's mod. But hmm. SFM is like the filming software. Gary's mod is more of a a less of a film and more of a game 
Okay, it's more like a sandbox kind of thing. So is is SFM who I have to blame for all the skibbity toilets that keep showing up on TikTok for me? I don't know what that is, Todd. How could you not? No, S- SFM is SFM is what you have to subscribe to get a Howard Stern. That was really good. <laughs> right. okay. No, thank you. Thanks for listen. Someone here is gonna know what a skibbity a skibbity toilet is, and I've... I oh I know what you're talking about. I know what you're talking about. What yes. happened? Yeah. What just happened? It's it's a weird Gen Z thing. We'll link it in the we'll link. Uh, all right, just pull hold it up. Let me get yeah, we'll rid of this. Let me well, let me X out my well, Citizens United tabs. Yeah, well you well you pull that up. Um I have watched these these digital shorts, except for maybe the one that introduces sandwich question mark. Um I remember these, and they're all very, very fun. Uh and I think the the pyro has like a voice inside their head that like they or they they hallucinate and see like bunnies and flowers and not just flames. Like there's something like quirky about the pyro. I remember this. It's very very good. Oh, is this a skibbity toilet link? It's oh, all it's 63 episodes. 63 full, episodes of skibbity toilet. Full, 63 episodes. Oh God! I just linked um, in the show notes, which you can access if you join our Patreon at the ten dollar tier. Patreon.com/slash/debatethiscast. Nice a link to uh, a compilation of all of the meet the team series. Now give me a brief moment to learn what skibbity toilet is. It's 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 what all the kids are watching these days. Um, it, there's and I know that. It. And I know that because uh, a, a teacher posted this on some social media, maybe TikTok or something and was like, Hey, you're, you're going to watch this and you're going to be like, what the fuck is this? Why is this funny? Mm-hmm. Why are people obsessed with it? May I remind you though, just when we were children, Maya Lahee or Maya yeah. Lahee, you know, hamster I mean, dance. like it's hamster yeah. dance. Like it's just, it's the next one of these. Um, the, so it truly, truly enters into attack on Titan er, uh, it's, areas it's, towards the end of the series. Yeah. It's, it's kind of maddening and I wouldn't watch it for too long. Your face will melt a la the Ark of the Covenant Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's really funny. Anyway, to, to wrap up on this thought here, Andrew, Face Punch Studios developed Gary's mod. They used the source engine. They also used a lot of features of SFM. Face Punch actually recently announced that they are not using the new what is technically S2 FM Source 2 filmmaker uh, for their upcoming game Sandbox, which is Gary's mod built in Source 2. Because Sandbox, it's kind of a lazy title there, huh? <laughs> well, it's S and then an ampersand and then mm-hmm. box. So it's, it's not nothing. But while they were devving Sandbox, they broke S2FM. So they have to build oh. their own to be able to, to dev the game. That's fun. Yeah. Okay. By now, you should know what a machinima is and what SFM means. And hopefully at this point, when I say Emesis Blue is a machinima made with SFM in the game TF2, you should pretty much be able to put it together. <laughs> it's like a Spanish 101 class. <laughs> like, it sure All right, is. Now, yeah. Now read it back to me. Donde esta la biblioteca? <laughs> video game movie made in a video game. There, see, you got it. But what is that game? 
And how did a couple of nerds crank out a feature length horror film that quite honestly, 24 hours removed from viewing, I'd put it amongst the top 10 movies that I've seen this year. Really? Yeah. Okay, but how many how many DC movies have you seen this year? <laughs> Same question. Blue Beetle, which is also on that list. Okay, that's fair. It's it's the that's the best one. Well, we're gonna get into Team Fortress 2, Team Fortress 2 lore, and the plot of Emesis Blue right after this. My name is T2756. Would you like to have sex with me now for money? Worst Movies Ever Played is back with three new VHS movies for your ears. Sextopede, you're alive again. How I've missed you. Anything can happen in this actual play RPG podcast, and we mean anything. You didn't think you could go to Texas Instruments without murdering someone, did you? (laughs) Subscribe to Worst Movies Ever Played wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back to this flavor text on Emesis Blue, a machinima made in SFM in TF2, a sentence which you, 45 minutes after starting this podcast, can probably understand. So what is TF2 and why aren't we talking about the first one? Both great questions. Thank you for asking. The original Team Fortress was created as a free mod for Quake in 1997-ish. I did oh. not know that. I d- that's a lot of fun trivia today. Yeah. yeah great, right? It's a thank you. Thank you. It is. It's This is a fun box episode for what sure. What a drastically different game. Yeah. The yeah. Team, the team behind the original was called TF Software and was comprised of Robin Walker and John Cook. It's kind of wild. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Oh, you're fine. It's kind of wild how like Quake very much seems to be the first domino in like a series of like massively successful media conglomerates (laughs) and production companies and entire platforms like they made one one like arena Twitch shooter. Yeah. And it just launched so much. Yeah. 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 I mean, truly in the way that. I don't know that PUBG was the first battle royale, but I think that PUBG mm. was the first like it popular was, uh, battle royale. And, uh, you know, in the same way that created a genre, I think Quake mm. really created a niche in video games in the same way that like the original mm. Star Fox redefined what shapes and movement you could make in a video game. Anyway, John Cook and Robin Walker created the original Team Fortress as a Quake mod sometime between 1996 and 1998. In 1998, these two were hired by Valve to begin work on Team Fortress 2, which was originally planned to be an expansion pack for Half-Life. So again, talking Mm -hmm. about a way different game, Team Fortress 2 was concepted as an X-Pack for Half-Life in 1998. That tracks though because half-life has a, a some other like multiplayer mods like that mm. so that I, I i get that thread i buy that right yeah absolutely the thread is definitely there i think what's crazier to me is this is where tf2 started and where tf2 yeah. is today could not possibly be farther than an x-pack for half-life you know i mean see also counter-strike counter-strike same same deal 
Absolutely yeah. it is. Yeah. yeah. So in 1999, the original TF2 was reworked into TF Classic, a port of the original game, and was released as a free mod for Half-Life. Later that year at E3, Valve debuted Team Fortress 2 Brotherhood of Arms. It was a more realistic, grittier war aesthetic and leaned more heavily into the RTS genre than the FPS genre. Fun fact I don't have written down here, the original concept had basically a team captain called the commander for each team that was responsible for instructing and informing the other players on the team. That idea was later scrapped because play testers just right. didn't listen to their friends. Have you, have you right. met video game players? Yeah. Have you been in society lately? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that was 1999. And then in mid 2000, Valve announced that TF2 had been delayed. Technically, this was the second time they delayed it, but that's not super important. While the team at Valve worked on their new internal engine source. So nobody said a goddamn thing about Team Fortress 2 again until 2004 when Valve's marketing director announced the game was, quote, still in development during the lead up to Half-Life 2's release in 2004. A few years later, Valve brought the new TF2 to the EA Summer Showcase event of 2006. Now, this Team Fortress 2 could not have been more different than the original Team Fortress 2 that was debuted at E3 in 1999. Seven years at the drawing table, and Valve had completely foregone the hyper-realistic war aesthetics, and they instead basically asked, what if game but Disney's Incredibles with gun? I mean, are we sit here in 2023. Has there <laughs> been a Disney shooter? That's not a question I want to think this hard about right Kingdom now. Hearts. Yeah. <laughs> Kingdom Hearts. Kingdom Hearts feels close. <laughs> anyway, the aesthetic of the game. I think is really heavily inspired by the animation style and aesthetic of the Incredibles. Now valve okay. references mm -hmm. a number of artists that they pulled inspiration from in these characters, the biggest name of which being Norman Rockwell. Now, if you go back and look at the artists that, that I don't buy, <laughs> I know if you go back yeah. and look at some of the artists that inspired the Incredibles, you'll find some big similarities. And yeah. most of those artists didn't make 3D animation. So I kind of think that The Incredibles, which came out in 2004, did a lot to influence the aesthetic of Team Fortress 2. But that's just my own opinion. So Team Fortress 2, to talk about the gameplay, revolves around nine playable character types known as mercenaries and the 10th is a sandwich and the 10th is, is a sandwich. These nine types are divided among three categories, offense, defense, and support. The three genders, uh, the three genders inside. All of us are three wolves. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
The offense category includes the scout, the soldier, and the pyro. The defense category includes the demo man, the heavy, and the engineer. And the support category includes the medic, the sniper, and the spy. The the sniper, to me, doesn't feel like a support character. Engineer feels like a support character. Uh Sniper feels defensive. But that's just me. And this game was released a long time ago, so... I won't take issue with that. (laughs) These nine characters are probably the one piece of this whole flavor text that I could have made an Imgur file for longtime listeners of the show. You may have noticed I do not have an Imgur file for you or an Imgur link for you. To be quite honest, this was not a particularly visual flavor text, so I just left that to the side If you would like to Google any of those, they will come up very quickly. Um, Maybe if I think about it, I'll include a link to those in the show notes as well. Each of those nine characters has unique weapons, skills, traits, abilities, and tactics to influence the gameplay. Now, literally 17 years later, TF2 is still actively supported by Valve and gets new updates every season. Hey, did I say season? That's right, fuckers. There's a TF2 battle pass now. Of course. Of course there is. Of course. I was aghast. Truly shocked and in awe of how many updates Team Fortress 2 has gotten. What is that player base? I mean, it's been relevant for a long time Mm -hmm. i I mean people still play runescape so right so i spent a little bit of time on twitch today watching some tf2 streams because i've never played tf2 and i knew general basics but i wanted to like get some gameplay and the the twitch streaming community is not huge i mean there were Probably 30 people actively streaming when I checked yeah, this afternoon. More than Diablo 4. Yeah, so like it's not <laughs> nothing, but it's not much. Yeah. But what I think is really cool on teamfortress.com slash history, Team Fortress has a counter of all of the updates that this game has received since release. Oh, so God. On date of recording and If my guess is correct, there will probably be another major update between this recording and when this episode is released. But at the date of recording, Team Fortress 2 has received 772 updates since its initial release 17 years ago. Okay, wait. So updates are probably like new content, like outfits, maps. For a second, I was like 700 balance patches, but no, that makes this. Never mind. I mean, there's gameplay modes. There's all sorts right. of different things like and oh, yeah, it's nine total characters, so it's not like they have to like fine tune too much. I think one of the things that's the most interesting to me, especially as a big Overwatch 2, I will note the two after Overwatch mm-hmm. fan that Team Fortress 2 has been the same goddamn game for 17 years, and they've just updated it nearly 800 times, and they've never once changed the graphics. 
shit's still running on source, baby. But, yeah. you know, here we are. Right. Anyway, let's talk about the actual gameplay of the game for a minute. If you've been a DT listener for more than a year, or honestly, just to this episode, you probably know I have a crippling Overwatch addiction. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. What? Thank you. Well, it's worth noting that TF2 truly created the genre that Overwatch iterated on in 2015. Games of TF2 consists of two teams, red and blue, competing to do whatever the objective of the map type is. That may be escorting a payload, capturing the other team's base, capturing the other team's flag, or playing King of the Hill. Or honestly, a shitload of other stuff. This game has so many modes. It has been around so for 17 many years. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. Games range between five versus five up to 16 versus 16. And as of a few years ago, the classic one versus 99 battle royale style. Sure. Can we for a second just pretend what a 16 versus 16 Overwatch 2 game would look like? Uh, screen share or slideshow. <laughs> yeah. It On would, the Switch, it just wouldn't. Yeah, my Switch would melt. Um, yeah. yeah. It's kind of wild to think about, you know, like a game in 2008 having 24 mm-hmm. players, even as a computer game. Like, it's just a little wild. Uh, it mm-hmm. really... And, and again, we've talked about this in a number of other episodes. To put a finger on the timeline as this is the first arena shooter isn't something that you can really do. But as far as like a team based hero based first person shooter, you know, ability based game. I I really think that team fortress two is, is the starting point for that as a genre. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. You've made it. We're right around the hour mark. And this is the bullet point where I talk about TF2 lore. Oh, I got to go pee. So you can just keep talking. It's fine. But don't (laughs) worry. Don't worry. This section isn't dense because Team Fortress's website contains the following blurb above their listing of Team Fortress extended universe content universe comics. And I quote. Team Fortress 2 didn't start with a lot of story. There wasn't room for one. But as the updates got more ambitious, we found the perfect way to explore the Mercs world. Comics. Over the years, the comics have spawned ancillary characters, then assistance to the ancillary characters. Companies mentioned in passing became global empires three generations old. The game that started as a handful of guys in a desert shooting at each other slowly blossomed into the most labyrinthian story in Valve history. That's right, nerds. Valve considers the story of TF2 to be more convoluted than the story of Half-Life. That is saying something. That is really saying something. Listen, I personally... Love the idea that a throwaway company becomes a megacorp 30 years later. Like I that has and I and I realize that Arrested Development plans out their bits, but it's got big Arrested Development energy of like, remember that thing they mentioned in season one? It's super important in season three. Yeah, you forgot about it. We're telling you about it again. It matters. 
Yeah, so this game, much like Overwatch, is a PvP multiplayer experience. You get some voice lines, you get some Easter eggs, and actually, as the years have gone on and the updates have gone on, they have fleshed out some other characters, some other modes. You know, you get to see different parts of the world. But at the end of the day, a lot of the lore has come from the comics, which were published by Dark Horse. And a lot of the comics lore has been built into the game as Easter eggs or expanded characters, whatever. What's important to note here is that Emesis Blue, the movie that we again came here to talk about today, doesn't actually require any background knowledge on the game lore itself. That said, here are a few fun bullet points that I just think are very interesting. Bullet point number one. This game is vaguely based in the 1960s, and everyone has this wonderfully characterized accent that mm, definitely might not be racist, but also could <laughs> definitely certainly be a little what, bit racist. Are you talking like 1960s, like transatlantic kind of or like Rocky and Bullwinkle? So every <laughs> character is from a different locale. I guess yeah. not everyone. Scout and Soldier are both American, but the medic has this crazy German accent. And then like the Got spy it. is a Frenchman and oh, he talks like this. Chakra blue. And then the demo man, his whole intro in the, the meet the team thing is that he is a one eyed black Scotsman and he has this crazy Scottish accent and it's wild. Um, this is really good. I feel transported. Yeah, thanks, man. I, I did my best. Um, fully immersive. Yeah, fully <laughs> immersive. Bullet point number two. The PvP mode is set during the, quote, Gravel Wars, a conflict between the <laughs> rival heirs. My favorite Khalid and Cambria comic. <laughs> That's really good. The Gravel Wars is a conflict between the two rival heirs of Zephenia Man. Those rival heirs' names are Redman Man and Blue Tark Man, better known as Red and Blue. You can just so clearly, like, <laughs> that sucks. feels. How many years was this out before they're like, all right, all right, all right, we gotta, like, work backwards on this one? <laughs> this, this sucks ass. I'm gonna play Snake on my phone. Red and blue are attempting to outlive each other and will seemingly do whatever necessary to manufacture immortality. There is also apparently a gray man. He is not relevant to Emesis Blue, so I didn't investigate any further. The weapons for each team are provided by the Man Company, the motto of which is Manco. We sell products and get in fights. And I think that's pretty good. <laughs> Next bullet point. The faceless announcer of the in-game battles is called the administrator and is voiced by Ellen McClain, the voice of GLaDOS in the Portal series. Oh, we love that. Yeah, that's good. And my last fun lore bullet point. Saxton Hale is the name of the CEO of Manco. I thought this was a more popular meme. I was going to just confidently say you've definitely seen this guy's picture before. I had, but he is this hyper masculine Australian meme guy 
with a crocodile Dundee hat, a hairy chest, and no shirt. Is that anything for I'm, anybody? I'm sure Kyle would know this if he were here. It, this does feel very Kyle. Yeah, if you're terminally online, you've probably seen Saxton Hale out of context and not known. You actually get to play as Saxton Hale in one of the like PVE type missions that they released in like 2009 or something. I don't know. All right, hmm. that's it. That's the end of the TF2 lore dump. I did not go any deeper. I did not need to go any deeper because, again, Fortress Films is quite clear with Emesis Blue. You don't need any prior knowledge going into this movie of TF2, who the people are, anything like that. And with that said, it is finally time for us to talk about this movie. So here is your official spoiler warning for Emesis Blue. I've been careful to not spoil anything before now, so if you want to watch this movie yourself without knowing anything like I did, pause the show now. The movie is available for free on YouTube, and it will be linked in the show notes. Go ahead. You watch it. I'll wait. Okay, welcome back. For those of you who stuck around or those of you who have returned, please know that, like I said at the top of the show, I'm not going to give you the whole plot beat by beat of this movie. Again, publish, publishing the plot synopsis of a psychological horror film feels really disingenuous to the product itself. So if you push past this spoiler warning, don't think you're getting the ending for free. As a big fan of horror myself and somebody who works in the horror industry, I know that so much of the enjoyment is built on the suspense of not knowing and I don't want to take that away from anybody. So, Squirrel Mancer, if you're out there, I'm sorry. I hope you didn't want me to break down this movie frame by frame. I would need more time and more viewings and more brain cells than I have to work with to do that. But here's what I've got about this movie. How? Wait, real quick. How long is the movie? Like an hour? Hour 48. Man, oh. the wild trip of like, I don't want to watch the hour 48 movie. Instead, I'll listen to an hour and a half flavor text is like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to save, I'm going to say 15 good minutes on this. That's very good. Okay, so let's jump into this movie. It opens with an old film reel from Helix Industries. I do not know who Helix Industries is. Well, they're a 30, they're a 30 year old megacore. Yeah, the, exactly. Three generations old or whatever. Mm -hmm. This film reel is explaining Helix Industries new respawn machine. As with all good asylum based psych horror, the experiments have gone awry and very few test subjects have survived. Those sure. who made it through testing are far from okay. I think in the movie there is actually a quote of like, you know, of the hundred or however the however many we sent through, we got back ten. Look, if you're gonna do dark science, you're gonna open dark science, like that's you're it's gonna be hard to pull me away from that. Like that's an yeah. easy box to check. Right. You want, you want winter soldiers, you want Spartans, you're gonna have to yep. break some eggs. Yep. Yeah, dark science right off the bat. So um, some of the people who survived the respawn machine came back and when they asked what happened were said 
they said, quote, it's eternity in there. So right after that film reel, the viewer is introduced to an office door with the word medical on the glass. We pan through that door to find blue team medic, Dr. Fritz Ludwig. I have a question. Yes. Does the red and blue nationalities affiliations matter in this movie? I think the bad guy is going to be red. There is a split between red and blue. Okay. So So this isn't completely removed from Team Fortress world, I guess. Correct. Yeah. Got it. It, It's pretty explicit in the movie, you know, when they say things like, oh, this is red territory, or you meet some, there are some characters who are from the red faction, and, you know, they say things like, why are you, why are you spending time with somebody from their side or something like that? Because it's really the best, okay, the best example that I have for red and blue in the Team Fortress 2 world is the Dr. Seuss book um, with the Sneetches, the Starbelly Sneetches. It's the Sneetches who yeah. have Starbellies and the Sneetches who don't mm-hmm. have Starbellies. There is as much separation between red and blue as there is yeah, between the Starbelly Sneetches. Cool. So we meet Dr. Fritz Ludwig. We find him having a crazy nightmare or it may be a flashback or maybe it's a premonition, but either way, it seems pretty bad. We're shown some choppy scenes of bodies being poured out of a dump truck, a masked individual down a long, dark hallway and a scary monster man opening the door to the doctor's office right before he snaps back awake and is greeted by a blue scout. This blue scout has a name. It is not important. None of the names <laughs> are at all important. The, there is, there's a scout, a doctor, or a scout, a medic, a spy, a soldier. You get it. So the blue scout opens the door, basically comes to the doctor and is like, hey, doc, I have a couple of questions. And the first question he asks the doctor is, do you ever have bad dreams? There is definitely this moment of realization that the doctor has coming to from this bad dream, having someone ask him about a bad dream. The scout goes on to explain last night he had a dream where he was looking in the mirror, brushing his teeth over a basin. And as he was brushing his teeth, all of his teeth began to fall out. And as all of his teeth began to fall out, all of the blood began to fall out of his mouth and filled the basin. And the doctor's like, oh, that sounds like a problem. And then (laughs) the scout says, do you ever feel like you're being watched? And goes on to tell this story of like last night, I swear I saw somebody outside of my window. And the doctor says in this crazy German accent, like you're being ridiculous. It was probably just somebody passing through the street. And the scout is like, doc, it was the second story window. And uh, let's not talk about that anymore. Do they also have the weird, like, cartoony accents of the Team Fortress characters? They sure do. This is a great time, (laughs) actually, to talk about the voice actors of this movie. So I think 
look, I've watched a lot of things that are voice acted. Not all of them have been good. I think the sure. voice acting in Emesis Blue is really good. Nice. I cool. don't believe that any of the people who did voices for this movie were um, uh, in any way involved in the original recording of the game. I know that the original voice of the soldier passed away relatively recently. There's a memoriam slide for him at the end of the Emesis Blue movie. But just to run through the cast list uh, real quick here, you've got Chad Payne, who plays the doctor. He also plays a bunch of other folks, but mainly the doctor. Excuse me. And he is the director and the writer of this project. You also have Anton Pelizari, who is the producer of this movie, who plays the two engineers that we meet and then a number of other background voices. We meet or we have John Winfield, who plays a police officer and then some other background voices. And then really the big people here are the scout and the soldier. The soldier voiced by somebody on IMDb listed as Jazzy Joey Jr. And the scout (laughs) played by somebody named Mouse Trigger. There you go. That's the cast. It's on IMDb if you want to know more. I do not know much about these people, but I wanted to give them the credit they were due. They all sound a hell of a lot like the original voice actors. Like a lot, a lot. It's very good. Um, It is well done it is not a group of people who have not ever voice acted before like clearly these folks have a lot of experience you know it doesn't always sync up perfectly but that's kind of the magic of machinima um but yeah very good voice cast and yes they do have that super silly accent so we leave the doctor's office basically the doctor says hey are you taking the pills from the blue corporation? Cause all of these people work for the blue corporation and the scout says, no, he isn't. He doesn't need them. He also says that he has been fired or let go of from the blue corporation and is going to sue them and get them back for what they did to him. We get no other context of that before the two walk out of the office Some spooky figure knocks over a box of VHS tapes. The scout and the doctor walk over, investigate, don't see anybody. The scout very sneakily picks up a VHS tape that is labeled M1931. He kind of tucks it into his jeans. Doctor doesn't see it. Everybody goes on their merry way. Moving on to the next chapter, what I think might be chapter one. There's like nine chapters in this movie. Honestly, there are too many chapters. I think that it is a, a an effect of being a machinima, right? Where like you're limited to the game's assets. So if the game has never done anything to transition location to location, you don't have any way to do like an establishing shot. You don't have any way mm. to show people in a new location or show people traveling. So there's a lot of these like cold cuts to new locations 
broken up by chapter title screens, which is a creative way to to use the medium. I think there's too many of them, but I did not direct or make this movie. So we cut away to the next chapter called The Graveyard Shift. Hey, by the way, yesterday was Halloween night of 1968. Do you need to know that? Probably not. Also, last night, a high-ranking executive of the Builders League United Corporation mysteriously vanishes in Mortem, New Mexico. This is all explained through some hasty news footage and a flyover of a newspaper. The Builders League United is just the full name of Blue Corp, which I did Uh, not know. Yeah, I didn't know that when I watched the movie. Um, I probably should have picked up on it and I just missed it. But BLU, Builders League United, is a subsidiary of Manco. And this high-ranking official who went missing, his name is Jules Archibald. He's running to be the governor of New Mexico. He's an original character for this movie, and he is a MacGuffin. You do not need to know anything else about him. He is a MacGuffin. Yeah. Okay. That's background information. Moving (laughs) on. (laughs) We switch scenes and meet our other main characters the soldier and the spy. So at this point, let me step back and say your four main characters who we're going to follow through the rest of the show are the soldier, the spy, the doctor or the medic and the scout. Now the scout is not as much of a main character is a little bit more of the camera insert of watching what's happening in the world but that's the other Mm -hmm. vantage point. So really the only three people you need to know, focus on, have an understanding of are the soldier, the spy and the medic. So we meet the soldier and the spy. These two are my favorite. They're the best part of this movie. They have this like fun noir buddy cop shtick through the whole thing. And there's also a moment that I have lovingly dubbed Chekhov's rocket jump just really good stuff <laughs> good stuff all around. Really enjoyed it. Um, right. Yeah. The soldier and the spy are tailing a heavy in hopes of learning what happened to Jules Archibald, who, again, is just a it, MacGuffin. I can't get over the fact that this is the only named person. It's like yeah. soldier, spy and Jules Archibald. Yeah. Um, This is probably the biggest spoiler I'll give. At the end of the movie, you get to meet Redman and Blue Tark Man. Nobody else has a name. Everybody else is just the whatever. Um, Yeah. Anyway. The soldier and the spy are trying to figure out what happened to Jules Archibald, why he was abducted, who took him. They've been tailing this heavy who has a briefcase They try and take this briefcase from the heavy. Things get messy. They end up killing the guy and they take his briefcase in hopes of getting more information again about the MacGuffin. Now, I, as somebody who has never played Team Fortress 2, does not have any appreciation for this briefcase. However, I'm of the understanding that in the gameplay of TF2, There is a lot of like, you know, when you're capturing the flag, you're like stealing the other team's briefcase or something. Mm. 
at least I think that's a thing. I think that briefcases might be collectibles in the game. And if I'm wrong, I'm sorry. Don't tell me. I don't care. Anyway, (laughs) they take this briefcase and kill this heavy. And the soldier who's kind of this like dumb, lovable guy is like, well, we killed him. What do we do now? And for whatever reason, the spies like go get my camera out of the car. Still not sure why that happened. The soldier goes away and then bang, the spy gets mugged by some mysterious dark figure who steals the briefcase and runs off into the (laughs) night. Okay, that's the next chapter. So chapter one, doctor and scout with some film footage. Chapter two, soldier and spy looking for Jules Archibald. Chapter three. The next thing we see is the scout returning home. There was some B plot dialogue in chapter one between the doctor and the scout about, you know, like, how is your mother? And that sort of shit. Um, (laughs) I guess that we're paying that off by introducing the audience to the scouts home life. We get a really cool moment. And honestly, what I think is one of the better horror tropes in the movie where the scout's phone rings right before mm, the call he is coming from the inside the house. Sure. Mm. It's not even that the call is coming from inside the house. He picks up the phone and all that plays back is a recording of everything that we have heard him say in the movie so far. Oh, that's, that's pretty good. It's really cool. And they play this trope a couple of times throughout the movie. And each time the sound bites they use are sort of in the vein of like if you ever had that one friend hey i was that friend if you ever had that one friend who had a voicemail box on their cell phone that was like hello hello yeah i can't hear you everybody has that friend yeah so i was that friend and all of the sound bites they choose for this telephone bit are set up where that initial interaction could be natural Uh, which is really cool. It's just really interesting. It's well-written, and I very much enjoyed it. So the scout enters his home. A bunch of spooky stuff happens, and he discovers that his mother is dead in the kitchen and has been beheaded. Oh. Yeah. We don't Hmm. see what happened. We don't, you know, like, he discovers this. It doesn't happen while he is there. Now, not long after he discovers his mother's head has been cut off, the doctor, the medic, comes by the house. I Good think thing just in time. I think he's coming by the house to bang the mom. I oh, think wait, that's the undertone. Like, I think that they tried to set up in the first act that maybe the doctor and the mom had dated at one point. It's a little bit unclear. I'm pretty sure the doctor was coming over to bang the mom. Anyway, not super important. The doctor discovers the crime scene, discovers the beheaded mother, sees the letter M written in blood on the wall of the scout's home, and also notes that the scout is missing. We don't know at this point if the scout is dead or alive. We don't know what has happened. It's just kind of assumed that the scout has been taken. And with that in mind, he, he being the doctor, heads off on his new mission. What does he do? 
heads off. Oh, oh, oh he's good. Yeah, that, that was, was good. I, that was wow. Damn. Um, he takes off on his new mission <laughs> to rescue the scout and find his killer. All right. For a bunch of reasons that I'm going to leave out of this synopsis, both the doctor and the soldier and spy follow a trail of clues to a location called the Conan Slaughterhouse. I believe that this is a map from the game, or at least a construction of maps from the game. And this point kicks off the back 60 minutes or so of the film, where we see these three, and if you include the scout, four characters contend with time loops, immortality, an absolutely haunting villain unmasking himself, rampant psychosis, and most of all, contending with each other. This point is the doctor on his own mission to find the scout and the soldier spy on their own mission to find Jules Archibald. In that little break between what I talked about and where we are now, those two teams sort of cross paths. They both get reason to slightly expect each other. You know, the soldier and the spy kind of like, who is this medic? What the hell are they doing? The medic thinking, who is this soldier and spy? Why are they sniffing around our organization? But once they reach the slaughterhouse, it is largely two independent like focuses, two independent plot lines that diverge until they come back together in a climax. But one thing I want to make clear in this synopsis is that they don't come to the slaughterhouse trying to find each other to like have some big fight. Right. And I think that that's one of my favorite parts about this movie and probably why I so adamantly didn't want to just spoil it all. Because at this point where there would typically be a very clear, you know, oh, the doctor is the bad, the soldier spy are the good. They've met at this creepy location and they're going to duke it out, even though they don't know that the soldier spy are actually the bad and the doctor is actually the good or, you know, some other horror trope hmm. or they've all teamed up and now they're all three together and they're going to go fight some big horror monster who's been terrorizing the town. It's none of that. It's all very different. And at no point did I really get a clear read on. Oh, yeah, I get the plot. You know, I, I was really experiencing from this point forward the movie as it was shown to me. So okay. to, to wrap this up uh, in my notes here, I just have why though? <laughs> like I said, that's all the plot of the movie that I'm going to give right now. Honestly, spoiling all of the cool spooky narrative beats just doesn't feel good. And from this point in the plot, like I said, the doctor and the soldier spy embark through this nightmare maze of the slaughterhouse trying to find their respective captives. We get to see the doctor discover the discover the scout in a locked coffin. And that scout, once freed, 
gives us a massive clue as to who the real killer, bad guy, villain, you know, who who the bad is in this whole situation. We also get to see the soldier find Jules Archibald and redefine the worth of both the soldier himself, Jules Archibald, and his fellow mercenaries, more so his fellow man. The movie wraps with very little closure as to what really happened and even less closure of what's really real. But we can still ask the fun question of why is this? Because Emesis Blue is more than a massive passion project put together by a couple of fans. This movie serves to ask some truly fascinating questions about how we're changed by the ways we treat other people, what it means to sacrifice one's life and humanity to a cause, and how we can become the victims of our own tools. All staunchly relevant in 2023. Mm Mm-hmm. All massively relevant things, yeah. and to also wrap- under a major umbrella of of bad, bad, bad science. To mm-hmm. well, and in, in the the videos you had us watch, like Emesis is like a sleep drug or something like that. Um, yeah, so yeah, there's Emesis like the, is the drug company, I think. Yeah, so there's like a pharmaceutical layer over all of this as well. Yeah. Which I mean, just check my boxes left and right, baby. Yeah, and you guys segued perfectly to my last bullet point here because eagle-eyed listeners, eagle-eared listeners, do eagles have good ears? Hawk-eared yeah. listeners will... Ear, Elephant-ear-eating listeners. Elephant-ear-eating <laughs> listeners might realize that throughout this whole synopsis, I've not talked a single time about what the titular Emesis Blue is. Well... That's one of the few things that we actually get a straight answer to in the movie itself. And I don't want to spoil that for you. So I guess you'll just have to go watch it on your own time. Okay. And that is really what I have for Emesis Blue to wrap up my thoughts here. And then I'll turn it over to both of you guys, because I'd love to hear your thoughts. I had no idea what to expect with this. I knew nothing going into it. I didn't know anything other than Team Fortress 2 is a game that exists. And I really, really enjoyed watching this movie. I will say up front, this is a machinima made with Team Fortress 2. (laughs) If watching two hours of a video game from 2007 isn't for you, this movie will not be for you. That is just That's a hurdle that you have to get over. And, and honestly, like in the same way that I don't particularly care for anime, this sort of thing isn't really my bag either. I really liked the psychological horror aspects of this. I liked the story that they told more than anything. I think I was really wrapped up by the bounds that the team was able to push with the technological limitations that they had, you know, to watch this feature length movie built entirely in a video game that is 17 years old. It's very cool. 
it's really cool. cool. It's so cool. Yeah, you know, and cool feet. it's just awesome to see truly art for the sake of art. You know, nobody made this for any reason other than because they cared about it a lot. And that's really awesome. I think that the voice acting was very good. I think that the story was unique and interesting. Was it super pleasing to look at for two hours? No, not really. But neither was Thor Love and Thunder. And I saw that in theaters twice. Also so fair. what are you going to do? I would definitely recommend watching this movie. Again, it is on YouTube for free. If psych horror, dark science, um, uh, noir buddy cop comedy, if any of that shit is your bag, this is a cool watch and a fun way to spend a few hours. If you are thinking to yourself, I don't think I want to watch two hours of a video game movie. Don't try. You're not going to like it. This isn't <laughs> going to bring you back from not wanting to watch two hours of a video game. But that is pretty much my take on Emesis Blue and honestly why it's in my big movies list for the year. I think something can both be the best iteration of itself, but also be the same, the thing. And I think those two things can be true. Yeah, I, I think that that's absolutely fair to say. I would love to hear your thoughts on this, both of you. Do you think that you might watch this movie? Does this story sound interesting to you? What did you learn about video game movies today? Yeah, I'll say I am really glad you didn't go through the plot, the plot beats by beats, because I'll be honest, without the visual, like hearing if I have to hear you say scout and soldier one more time, I might cross my eyes. So that like the beats, like plot beats don't mean a whole lot to me right now. That said, though, like I'm definitely interested. Like, yeah, I'll absolutely watch this. Like I'm 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 curious enough to to see it and. You know, I, I very much respect the, like, I don't want to, you just have to go in without knowing. Like, that's that's pretty common in horror and, and good psych, and good things like this are where the, the answer, the ending isn't super clear. Like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I will go in and experience the thing. Yeah, um, I said earlier that I'm going to rewatch 18 seasons of Red vs. Blue. Um, <laughs> sure. Which, now that I think about it, some of those seasons were filler episodes, so I'll watch, like, most yeah. of it just um, the highlights where this, yeah you, you watch the manga yeah. adaptations yeah this is um i i will give this a shot um i'm gonna watch two things i'm gonna watch this i'm gonna give it a shot i also want to watch the uh the sandwich episode i've got so many questions about sandwich yeah it's the last in that thing i linked earlier in the show notes uh where i linked the meet the team video mm -hmm. it's the last like 90 meat, spelled m-e-a-t yeah mm -hmm. my bad I don't know. I was typing quick, man. What do you want? No, no, no. I'm saying the sandwich because he's making meat. a joke. Oh, meat. Now it's been a long day before they head off. <laughs> head off was really good. I couldn't have really intentionally written that. I'm not uh, head off. You? Apply directly to the forehead. Head off. Head off to apply directly to the forehead. Mm -hmm. Well, <laughs> I think that is a perfect place to go ahead and wrap it up. Thanks for listening to debate this. And again, a massive thank you to Squirrel Mancer for having this episode commissioned for their birthday. That's super rad. We are very honored, and I hope that this was a good birthday present for you. You can follow along with the arguments on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at DebateThisCast, 
or on our website at debatethiscast.com. Insert train noises here. That's right, folks. It's October, and that means it's time for Debate This to do two things. Make train noises and ask you to review our show. Well, guess what? We're all out of train noises. Last year, we challenged listeners to add 20 new reviews on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, and in exchange, we said we would stream Todd playing through Doki Doki Literature Club. Well, you did, and we did, and it was a great time for all of us except for Todd. Especially this, except for Todd. Uh, I don't yeah. like I don't like that you're reading this with way more passion and aplomb than I read this with last week. <laughs> well, you wrote it. I just yeah. uh, I'm Ron Burgundy, man. I'm, whatever's on the <laughs> teleprompter, it just comes out. This year we're running the same play. Review the show and add us on your favorite social media with the I can't believe you put the word medium in here, you freak. Yeah, social medium. I know that that's the singular, but it's disgusting. On your yeah. favorite social with the proof. And if we get 20, we'll do another spooky stream. Honestly, though, you have to post it and tag us somewhere. Yeah. I will yes, not go hunting know. down your reviews this year. It will yeah, not happen. Matt, Matt's putting the kibosh on it this year. And we're not so, rounding up if if it, those don't count. We're probably those ones won't count. We're, we're probably going to round out, but I do. I think it's going to be Outlast Trials. I think I'm going to make them play Outlast Trials. Yeah, well, we can yeah, do, we can all play that. We can do yeah, it I know it's a cranium yeah. all play. Or we could just make Todd play Outlast One. I that won't. would be fun. Ooh. I won't. Ooh. I, I'll, I'll poop. Um, also, also pitch for ins- uh, inscription. Mm, I would also be down for inscription. Yeah. I know um, you, you know who would definitely actually like love playing inscription Kyle Harper Kyle Kyle for do we sure. turn this around on Kyle because he's not here maybe we, we turn could. this around on God turn oh, that's so good let me just control F Todd we could, we could do it we well, we could do a team lift like how we no. did uh, oh Detroit sounds Become like the Human. episode's ending <laughs> until next time I'm Matt Cole I'm Todd gray man ah fighter of Plutarch man ah, <laughs> Thomas I'm Andrew. I fought in the Gravel Wars, which was a tense property line dispute my dad had with our neighbor in 2004, <laughs> Henderson. <laughs> and we're saying thanks for debating with us. And if you think we're wrong, you can come fight us behind the spooky swing sets, nerds. Ooh.